Well, welcome. It is our privilege today to participate in the public dedication of three kids in our church family and wanted to talk for a minute about why we dedicate kids. In the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, right at the beginning of uh, chapters 1 and 2, God opens a window into the life of a devout woman named Hannah. And she longed to have a child, longed to see him grow up, and longed to have this child know God and serve him. And when God granted her her prayers and gave her a son, she named him Samuel and took him before Eli the priest to be dedicated. It is this heart of a parent that we are modeling. As these, kids, as these parents bring their kids before God in our presence, we join with them in committing to train them up as Christ followers. This is not a baptism ceremony, but a public statement that these parents are making of intention. Following the example of devout parents from the Bible, like Hannah, these parents have expressed their desire to present their children to the Lord. This dedication is a sober commitment for them and for us to responsibly care for that which God has given and to be prepared to release their children to his work when the time comes. Jesus demonstrated his acceptance and love of kids when he said in Matthew 19, let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he put his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. And now we proudly introduce the children to be dedicated. Eleanor James Holly, daughter of Tara and David Holly. Zoe Olivia Sloan, daughter of Andrea and Andy Sloan. And Penelope Rose Muniz, daughter of Sheena and Samuel Muniz. So a charge to the parents. The primary responsibility for the care of your children, of course, rests on you. The scripture speaks of this responsibility from the Old Testament all the way through the New. In the Old Testament narratives we hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're away on a journey, when you're lying down, and when you're getting up again, in Deuteronomy 6. And Solomon invites us, teach your children to choose the right path, and when they're older, they will remain upon it. Paul adds to that the responsibility in this letter to the Ephesians. He says, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so as you engage in this task, you may earnestly seek the Lord daily for his wisdom. For all the events that will occur, all the decisions that we need to make as parents, um, and all of the needs that can be met. Jen, James says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he'll gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. So may you also daily give thanks for God, to, for your child, and to the joy and love they bring to your home. As they grow, may you earnestly strive to spend adequate time together, working to develop a strong moral foundation, uh, for life and an awareness of the Lordship of Christ in his abiding presence. There is one other agent of influence represented here today, the church. And at this time, I'd like to ask members of H2O to stand. 
and show acceptance of their part of this, uh, of this responsibility. I charge us all to support and encourage these parents as they build into their kids. I urge you to consider serving and supporting our Splash Kids program, perhaps volunteering as a helper or a teacher or even as a leader. I charge you to demonstrate affectionate kindness towards all of our little ones. And I charge you to covenant before God to set an example in our own lives to maintain an atmosphere in our church that will inspire these little ones to follow hard after Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. And now, parents, in the sight of God and the presence of these witnesses, I have four charges for you. Do you solemnly undertake to bring up your child in the training and instruction of the Lord? Do you promise to seek to create an atmosphere in your relationship with your child where it is natural to talk about godly things on a regular basis? Do you claim the hope that as you teach your children to choose the right path, when they are older, they will remain upon it? And do you promise, as far as you are able, to set before your children examples of consistent godly living? Perfect. Now I'm going to pray. For Eleanor James Hawley, for Zoe Olivia Sloan, for Penelope Rose Muniz, Lord, we commit these precious lives to you. We accept the responsibility God gave us for them as they grow. We ask you to be a very present help in times of trouble for these parents and ask you to bless their relationships with their kids. We trust you in this because they are yours and you have given to them to us for a time. Parents, in that you have dedicated your children to the Lord, we now lend them back to you that by the grace of God and the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit, you will bring them up in the ways of the Lord. Why don't we head on out and you can pick up a certificate from Marianne right there on her way out. And then there's a little photo place over on the side and we'll uh, take photos that we can get to you. What a blessing to be able to take part in that. What an honor to know that uh, there are families and us as a congregation where uh, we as parents don't need to just depend on us. We can depend on us and the Holy Spirit and our congregation to help grow us up. So um, we want to shift to another significant matter, and that is a matter that John brought up last week in, uh, about a potential sabbatical. We have been taking this before the Lord and prayerfully considering it. We have been uh, talking uh, as a leadership team. And I wanted to start off by saying a few things. First off, that uh, there is a purpose to a sabbatical. Uh, a sabbatical is not, some, is not vacation. But a sabbatical might have restful imp, uh, elements. A sabbatical should have uh, elements of rest, elements of recharging, Elements of reflecting, elephant, el, elephants, <laughs> elements, <laughs> thank you, thank you, okay. uh, elements of reflecting, elements of refocusing, and elements of reinventing. And all of those things take space and time. They don't happen in the run, run, run of a race. Uh, we need John to be a pastor who leads with a clear vision and a clean heart and, and uh, resilience. And uh, I want to tell you something about this man. This man has, uh, comes from a Germanic background. 
uh, tends to uh, take that together with an incredibly intense commitment to the Lord and put that into a package that says, I'm going to step up. And I'm going to keep on stepping up. And he ends up being hardworking, driving, connected, and always stepping up. And for 32 years now, he has stepped up as a pastor. And when our co-pastor um, had a severe uh, physical challenge that he was going through, uh, John stepped up. And when I went through a significant se uh, season of depression, this man stepped up. And when um, our, our also co-pastor needed to take some time to raise support for six months, this man stepped up. And when I was working on my master's degree in counseling, this man stepped up. And so as I look at this man and think about what he has done uh, in his commitment to step up, I recognize and honor him as my friend and co-pastor, as a man who is committed to stepping up. And so we thank you for that, John. And we recognize now as a congregation and as a leadership team, it is our turn to step up. That's what we commit. John is going to be taking, um, on paper, between three and four months, possibly with the extension up to six months, of working on um, connecting. And those things that I mentioned before, refocusing, resting, rejuvenating, becoming resilient, being able to uh, recognize what the Lord has done in him and will continue to do. And so we have a date coming up later this week, I think the 15th, and that will be... Uh, 16th will be the beginning of his sabbatical. The 15th will be his last day, uh, not non-sabbaticalized. So uh, in addition to that, uh, believe it or not, he wants to step up every single day between now and then. And we have asked him not to step up as heavily as he has been. So um, feel free to get in contact with him. Feel free to uh, let him know what's on your heart. But also feel free to let him uh, ease into the sabbatical. I wanted to mention two things also. One is that as a leadership team, we have taken a look at all of John's job descriptions and know that we cannot fulfill all of them, but we will be stepping up into those places. And the, the church will be uh, great and moving forward during this time. Um, also, there will be some places where you may get a chance to step up. And so I uh, honor any risk you take in stepping into spaces that you see left or needing needing to be filled. And so I want to challenge you to that. I also want to say that um, this time away will include some times, specific times with his wife away from here uh, and for him away from here, and there will be some cost there. And I wanted to give you guys, if you want to and are in a position to be able to help, uh, and you can give towards this need. The need right now is projected about $5,000 on top of uh, kind of normal expenses. And so if you're in a position and want to help out with that, you can go to the H2O uh, app. You can flip to the give section and you can give to the, uh, the category that's called foundation. And that will uh, make it available to be able to uh, be used in support of this sabbatical. So for a moment here, I want to uh, have John come over and I want to pray for him. Thank you, Lord, for my friend. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for his commitment to run hard all the time. And I ask you, Lord, that through your wisdom, through your grace, 
you will allow a season of rest, a rejuvenation, a resilience, a place of refocusing, a place of redefining, a place of rediscovery. So we honor this man. You say that, that those who have been um, working hard at teaching, they are worthy of double honor. This man is worthy of double honor. And so we honor him with this gladly and ask you to work in his heart as he seeks you in this time. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. I just want to share with you guys, too, you know, it's, I, I have run hard for Jesus since coming to know him at age 17. And if this feels like a surprise to you, it, it was a surprise to me. My body felt like it was this machine that was just slowing down and grinding to a halt. And so um, one of the things I really love and appreciate is our leadership team's attitude about this. As soon as I began to speak about the possibility of a sabbatical, Jim said, I've got your back. And when I shared my need with the entire team, everyone has been incredibly supportive. In fact, some of you guys have really expressed a lot of love toward me with this, so thank you. Some people have asked, what, uh, what can we do? What is our response to this? And I'd say, first of all, just to be praying for me. It's the, the main thing I think that you can do. The, the second thing is to remain committed to H2O. I'm part of a life group called the Sanctuary Life Group. And when we met this last week, I loved the beautiful spirit of our life group. It's like, we are just going to step up and make it easy for you to depart. And then the third thing is just to understand that I will need some separation. Our church is built on friendship. And so it's awkward to recognize that where does work end and, and friendship begin? They're all tangled up together for me. And so just some understanding in recognizing that need. So thank you guys very much. You look like you're about to cry. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Hey, let me pray for us here. Uh, we're beginning a new series called Unashamed. And so let me just set the table here in prayer. Lord God, that word is so beautiful. We want to live for you, to follow in your footsteps in a way that is unapologetic, unembarrassed, and unashamed, and we recognize the difficulty of that. We pray that this series, and particularly today, that the message, the heart of what you're all about would come across. And I just ask you to open our eyes and speak to our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to share some statistics with you guys. I shared them last week, but they're worthy of being repeated. There's a man named David Kinneman that did some research. He was looking at a specific age group, 18 to 30-year-olds. What do they think of the church? And so here are the statistics the response of that people group. So those outside of the faith believe, 91% of them believe that Christians or the church is anti-homosexual, that it is judgmental, that it is hypocritical, 
that it is old-fashioned, it is too involved in politics, it is out of touch with reality, it is insensitive, and it is boring. I don't know if any of you have had that moment when you're speaking with someone that's outside of the church, and you feel a little twinge of concern about what they think of you, or a cringe in your spirit when you say, I'm a Christian. Like, I am not apologetic, I'm not embarrassed about Jesus at all, but I feel a little embarrassed about what people think Christianity is. And so here at H2O, our desire is we want to live unashamed for Jesus, and we recognize because of where our culture is at, there are unique challenges that we face today. Look at what Jesus said here in John 20. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. God sent the Son, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, fully divine and fully human, to incarnate the love of God, the good news to the world. It is wonderful that he died on the cross. And we could spend a lifetime, we will spend a lifetime, and fail to fully unpack that. But Jesus was good news in his attitudes, in his words, and in his actions. And look what he says to us. So I'm sending you to incarnate good news into the world as well. So the thought for this series is really simple. Each week, we're going to take a look at one character from the first century, one person that reveals how to live unashamed, and we're going to connect the dots from their world to our world. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a man named Levi. So let me give you a little bio background on Levi. Levi was a tax collector, and so... It's like he worked for the IRS, right? Who likes the IRS? Uh, nobody. So he worked for the IRS, but it was different back then because he worked, he was a Jew that worked for the government that was oppressing the Jews. He worked for the Romans. He was hired by the Romans to extract money from his fellow brothers, his Jewish brothers. And so that was not only his profession, but it caused him to be hated. And tax collectors in the first century were kind of like a social outcast. If we, if we were able to put them on a spectrum, maybe we would have doctors and, and teachers on one end. And then on the other end, prostitutes, brothel keepers, and tax collectors. They were so disregarded that they could not give testimony in a, a legal case. Because everyone knew you don't really trust a, a tax collector. So that's Levi's background. And yet the third part of his bio is that he was called by Jesus to be a disciple. You know, a lot of us, if you've been around Christianity very long, you read this story about Levi and it doesn't really have the power because we don't see how, like, this created a scandal. Like, everyone that knew the story is like, What? You did what? You called who? So look with me in the Gospel of Luke. 
Luke 5:27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Levi lived in Capernaum, which was Jesus's home base. And so Levi probably heard Jesus preach a bunch of times. And he heard all about the miracles and the cool things that Jesus was doing. So likely when Levi heard him preach, he knew there's hope for me. Verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And so what the text doesn't say, what the, there's all this subtext here that's not in the scripture. It's because the 12 disciples, or 11, uh, Levi being the 12th, would have looked at him and likely did not feel joy when they thought about the IRS becoming part of their apostolic band. It's like, Levi, I hate this guy. And I hate it, Jesus, that you have called him as well. Verse 29, Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Again, huge subtext. Levi, in this party that he has thrown, Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate good news, in a room where people were getting drunk, and people were hooking up, and there's Jesus right in the middle of it, unfazed, while his disciples, likely in the house as well, are feeling really awkward because their whole life long they've tried to avoid people like Levi. And outside the house are a bunch of religious people that are looking at this whole scenario and saying something is horrible here. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I think it's interesting they didn't say that to Jesus. They, they didn't have the kahunas to go up to Jesus. Instead, they went to his disciples. But Jesus overheard it. Overheard it. And 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus would later describe this as being the heart of the law, the middle of the matter, the most important thing. Fortunately for us, we have this on video. Uh, back then, somebody had a smartphone, they whipped it out, and they caught on video this story, which we're about to show you. Before I show you, this is a scene from Jesus of Nazareth. It's about seven minutes long, but it's okay because the whole movie is like four and a half hours long. So I'm giving you a real strong section. Uh, you may notice a British accent rather than a Middle Eastern accent. We just got to roll with it. Yes, they look like they're from Indiana, not from Palestine. Yes, we just need to roll with it. I give to you Levi's feast. Master, it's a scandal for you to eat with these people. Don't you know who they are? We've lived our lives honorably, made sacrifices to keep the law. They are thieves, whores, usurers, violent and godless people. And now you sit and eat with such people who spend their lives in orgies and perversions. 
I'm not come to call the virtuous to repentance, but the sinners. And they might enter the kingdom of heaven even before you. Listen, master, if you go and eat with these people, they will contaminate you. The whole town will abandon you. Oh, James is right. James. The heart of the law is mercy. You can't! Master! Peace be with you. Thank you for coming to my house. Rabbi, you are welcome. Welcome, Rabbi. Move! No, 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 no. Don't move. I'll sit there. Wine. This is my brother James. He's in the same business as I am. I drink to you in the name of all here. Rabbi, we want to hear your words. Please, speak to us. No, 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 no. Let's eat first. No. Let him decide. No, no. I'd like to tell you a story. Sit down, sit down. A certain man had two sons. And one day the younger of these sons said to his father, give me my share of your estate now. So his father divided his wealth between his two sons. And a few days later, this younger son set off for a distant land. And there he squandered all the money he had on riotous living. Now, not long after this, a great famine swept over the land. And the boy began to starve. He persuaded a farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. But he was so hungry that even the husks he was feeding the swine began to look good to him. And still, nobody gave him anything. Finally, the boy came to his senses. At home, even my father's servants have enough food and to spare. And here I am, starving to death. I will go home and ask my father to hire me as one of his servants. And so, he set off. Now, he was still some distance from his home when his father saw him coming. And he was so filled with compassion 
that he ran towards his son and embraced him and kissed him. The boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father called for the servants and said, Bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Put rings on his hands and shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast. My son was dead. And is alive again. Now, the older brother, at this time, was working in the fields. And as he came back to the house, he heard the noise of music and dancing. He called for one of the servants and asked what was happening. And he was told. At this, the older brother became very angry. And he refused to go into the house. The father came out, tried to plead with him, but he wouldn't listen. I have worked for you all this time, all these years, and never once have I disobeyed you. And in all that time, you've never even given me so much as a goat so that I could have a feast with my friends. My younger brother comes back, having spent all your money on harlots. And for him, you kill the fatted calf. Please, said the father. Please, try to understand. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But it is right to celebrate. Your brother was dead. and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I love that. Did you catch the looks on the faces of the unchurched, socially outcast people as they begin to process that maybe God is different than I've thought. Maybe there's hope for me. And I can't imagine what must have gone on in Levi's heart. He must have been shocked for Jesus to initiate with him. He must, must have been shocked and surprised and overwhelmed. Think about the amount of shame that he had carried his whole life that began to dissipate through his friendship with Jesus. And yet, here in this series, Unashamed, I'm actually not looking at Levi. I'm looking at Jesus. Because Jesus is unashamed to hold the hand of friendship out to someone who has lived apart from God his entire life long. That is striking to me and it must have been striking to Matthew because he wrote this or to Levi he wrote this in Matthew 18 what do you think 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? This is remarkable. Think about what this would be like if for us, those of us that follow Jesus, would actually prioritize people who are unchurched and maybe find themselves lost in the same way. Think about it if Christians were known not as being anti, but known as people that always look out for the socially outcast person who are all, always ready to say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for you. I believe that struck him. Let's go back to Levi's bio. His original name is Levi, but he got a new name. Most of you probably know him by his new name, Matthew. That name was probably given to him by Jesus because Jesus wanted to communicate to his men, you used to be this, but now you're this. And check out the meaning of Matthew's name. It means gift of Yahweh. It's like Levi, his whole life long has been, I'm a person of shame. And Jesus says, no, you're a gift. You're a gift. Yahweh is the Old Testament name for God. So he became one of the 12 disciples, became a witness of the resurrected Jesus, author of the Gospel of Matthew, and he became a missionary to his own people there in Judea, and then he went to Africa, to Ethiopia, to tell people about Jesus because he was so impacted by how unashamed Jesus was of him, the heart of the Christian message. So, what's the big idea? Here's we sit here this morning, hearing the word of God. What, what is it? What's the bullseye? What does God want us to walk out of here impacted by? And the first big idea is, is this. Just like Jesus, we're to incarnate good news to the world. I want you to think about your world right now. Think about the people that you live with your neighbors, the people that you work with. Think about what it would look like if we caught this concept and that we would be the good news to the people in our world. The second big idea is simply this. Our biggest gift that we can give to anyone is simply acceptance and friendship. It is so beautiful and it is so simple, and it is so rarely found in our world for us as Christ followers to say to those who are around us, I want to be your friend in the name of Jesus. We're gonna transition at this time into worship. I mentioned earlier that God is not only revealed as a father, but in scripture, he has the attributes of a mother. And Brooke is going to introduce this song by sharing a little bit more about that. Hello. <laughs> Carrie's forcing me to do this. 
Um, so yeah, I'm just going to share a little bit. Um, I was uh, driving to pick up Carrie from the airport, and um, we kind of had the same thought at the same time, so it was really serendipitous um, that we do it today on Sunday, for on Mother's Day. So uh, a big part of my story is that I actually struggle a lot to view God as a father. Um, this, of course, is wrapped up in a lot of personal stuff for me, which I'm sure you can guess. Um, my father is I'm estranged, he's aloof, he's indifferent, um, impossible to please. Um, and it's taken me a really long time to unpack all the various ways that that has actually, viewing God as only a father, has actually stunted my relationship with God. Um, and no one's ever even whispered to me that maybe there's another way. Um, so putting pronouns and labels aside, we all know that God is not human, right? So God is not inherently female or male. So why couldn't we think of God as a mother? So Gary's, Carrie's going to play the song that we picked out, um, and the lyrics read, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up, no, not me, even when nobody else believes. I'm not going down that easily, so don't give up on me. Uh, this is a pop song by Andy Grammer, so it's in no way a worship song, but the first time that I heard it, um, I pictured myself singing these words to God. And then I pictured God singing them to me, and my very next thought was of my mother. This song is also such a beautiful picture of a mother's love. And that's kind of when it clicked for me. My relationship with my mom, which I'm so lucky to have, is actually my closest comparison to what God's love might be like. Of course, this is not at all a new revelation. God has been relating to us as a parent from the beginning. But it took me relating God specifically to a mother's love to finally feel that. So the truth is, something like Mother God would never be intended to replace Father God. But what if by expanding our view of language, we are able to expand our view of God? We're able to see the bigness and the love and the full fullness that God is. So I'm going to read a portion of a poem by Alice, Alison Woodward. To be a mother is to suffer, to travail in the dark, stretched and torn, exposed in half-naked humiliation subjected to indignities for the sake of new life. To be a mother is to say, this is my body broken for you. And in the next instant, in response to the created's primal hunger, this is my body, take and eat. Um, that is just a portion of the poem, but I thought it was <laughs> crazy how I've never really thought about connecting um, a mother's love to the things that Jesus did. And I mean, it's so clear to me. So, all of that to say, moms, we see you, God sees you, um, and thank you for everything that you do. You are an essential and specific representation of God. Happy Mother's Day. Mm -hmm.